The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Well, welcome to Pile of Scrap. I'm here with Matt Kripke, the guru of aluminum. Thank you. Glad to be here. Matt, you, uh, we've known each other a few years now here because of ISRI. We're here at the, uh, in Chicago at the ISRI Roundtables for full disclosure, and thank you for agreeing to, to come on to Pile of Scrap and, you know, educate you know the purpose of our podcast isn't to sell our equipment it's to people who aren't in the industry people who are in the industry to learn a little bit of something other than what they know you know they don't know things they listen i get a lot of positive feedback and you're the one guy you're my go-to guy for aluminum great right. you ready for that i'm ready all right well matt okay Kripke Kripke enterprises it's not a 20-generational business like a lot of us in the scrap business. Tell us about Kripke Enterprises. Uh, well, I am third generation in the scrap business, but my, uh, my grandfather, my dad, and his brothers, they built up a family business, sold it out to Omnisource in 1983. My dad stayed at Omnisource until 1993 and left when he was 49 years old. Kind of, it was a... Uh, I'm, I'm either going to stay here for the rest of my life or I'm going to go out and start over and start my own business. And he started Kripke Enterprises in 93. I came in with him in 94. University of Michigan graduate. Yes. Proud. Yeah. There's Two- a lot more of you out here than I, you know, it's funny. Not many SC graduates, but running across more of you Michigan Wolverines than uh, maybe I, I want to. But what did you take at University of Michigan? Uh, I was in the business school, and my dad was in the business school, and currently I have uh, my middle child is in the business school. Congratulations. Thank costs you. a lot of money. I know. I have a daughter <laughs> at USC, so I get it. <laughs> it's an investment. Yeah. We hope so, right? Right. All right. So Kripke Enterprises, tell us about what you're doing today. What, where do you guys, what's your, what's your niche? What are you doing? So you referenced Aluminum Guru, which was very, very nice of you. Um, I know a fair amount about aluminum, and our company is, we are experts within the aluminum industry. Uh, the, we have two divisions in our company. One is the scrap division, and then we also have a usable coil division called Mid-South Aluminum. And the scrap division is what you're most familiar with, and we place... We're pretty much North American brokers, and then we do have a processing facility in Toledo. I call it a processing facility. It's it's a little bit more than just a warehouse, but it's you know it's it's a is that more industrial or are you taking other scrap processors aluminum there? We are a scrap dealers broker, so okay. we do not handle industrial accounts ourselves. Okay, so what is your radius? Are you buying? Aluminum all over the country? All over North America. Mexico, Canada, all over the U.S. So you're brokering materials. Um, how many different mills are, are buying your aluminum that you're brokering? Uh, on the scrap side of our business, we sell to roughly 40 to 50 different consumers. Um, and they range from sometimes small people, uh, smaller Deox uh, manufacturers making like Notch Bar, uh, or cone or shot. And then we also sell to secondary smelters, people making 380, 319, sometimes into the 356 market. 
Uh, we sell into billet makers who are making uh, billet that goes into the extrusion market. Okay. We're selling into the sheet mill market, which are people mainly making common alloy, 333, 5052. So who are you selling into that's making a product that the listeners would know? You sell to somebody who's making some that somebody's using. Um, if you're willing to disclose. Well, we se- who we would sell to okay. would be, you know, Kaiser Aluminum, Alaris, uh, you know, um, a number of billet makers. Uh, and what are they making? Give us a product that when you see it, you know, hey, I broker that material into in the scrap version. Well, we, we sell into both Alaris uh, well, in, into um, Arconic and Novellus, both of them are responsible for supplying the F-150 aluminum that goes into making the uh, F-150. Okay, so let, let, I was going to ask you about it. Let, let's segue into that because the frame I had, my son has an F-150, okay? I drove an F-150, the aluminum. Who is making the form and the shapes? Tell us how we get there. How does, from scrap... To the Ford F-150. Walk us through that so people can understand that, if, if you're willing to. Okay. So the majority of that metal is captured in a closed-loop system. So the majority of that is really not making it to, if any of your listeners are scrap dealers, the majority of that from the F-150 is not making it out into the scrap dealers. But here's the way it's handled. Is... Novellus and Arconic deliver coils on trucks, and then those trucks get loaded up with scrap Mm -hmm. that is collected right at the plant, taken back to their plant, dropped into a furnace, and melted, uh, recycled into making new coil, and then it's returned there. Okay, so you said you also handle coils. What are you, what, what, that's a different part of your business. Tell us a little bit about that. So in 2017, we acquired a company called Mid-South Aluminum. It is owned or was owned by uh, Alan Salee, Alan Salee Jr. And we had been doing business with them for over 20 years on a tolling relationship. And a tolling relationship would be we would take scrap, we would take it somewhere, pay uh, that place a fee for them to convert that scrap into coil for us. And then we would then partner with Mid-South, and they would sell the uh, coil into the building and construction market. So you own that now. Yes. So you're now selling product into the building industry. Correct. How is the building industry, the construction industry in the U.S. right now? How is the demand for your product? It is good, but 2018 was great. 2019 is good. So we've gone from, you know, the book, the famous book is good to great. We've gone from great to good. Well, at least we're good. Right. At least it's not awful. I hear that about the aluminum market. You hear people, oh, aluminum is awful. The China tariff or the closure of that market and all that. What is the reality? Is there just that much more aluminum supply, scrap aluminum, than there is the consumers of it? Is it the lack of consumers? Or is it the lack of people buying new aluminum products? It is not the lack of people buying new aluminum product. There's more and more aluminum, you know. Auto has made this significant shift to focus on lightweighting. And some of it is the CAFE standards, which are 
kind of under debate right now in your state, especially of California. But um, because of the lightweighting goals of a lot of the automakers, more and more aluminum is being used in cars and more aluminum is being used in other products. Maybe we'll talk about some of those other products a little bit later. So that is not it. What is going on is you do have a situation where there is not as much common alloy being made in the United States as there used to be. And common alloy, to go back to it, is 5052, 3003, 3105, referred to as common alloy. So and they use for common alloy? What Those are mainly like building and construction product okay. and would also be used a lot in um, like RV and trailer okay. and in, in those markets. And because there is less of that being produced, and so a lot of those consumers have moved their capacity over to making auto sheet, which are these new alloys for the F-150 and other cars that are moving into auto body. Well, okay, military grade, Matt, what, what, you can't get away from the car. Military grade aluminum. Is that real? Is there a military grade of aluminum? Or is it just a great marketing ploy? I think it's a great marketing ploy because the reality is, if you're talking about military grade, I guess you're referring to what is used on the outside of a Humvee. And, you know, okay. that, you know that could be some of the 6,000 series that they're using in the F-150. But most of the time when you think of military alloys, those are generally the 7,000 series. And there's really not a lot of that being used in the F-150. All right. So seems to be good news that still a lot of automaking's gone more towards aluminum, okay? That's uh, that's a good thing. Plastic seems to be persona no grata anymore. Mm-hmm. Even though at ISRI we uh, awarded uh, Nestle uh, the award for design for recycling last year. And do you see the beverage container industry going far greater into aluminum in the coming years? Or how's that going to go? I think that... Aluminum being infinitely recyclable has an advantage on plastic when it comes to containers. So uh, I think that we're seeing a little bit of these, you know, this aluminum solo cup okay. uh, that that's going to be probably uh, stamped out of like a 1050 or 1070 alloy. And then we're seeing... For instance, uh, I just had some canned water. So I, uh, we are having a grand opening. We're moving into a new facility in a month. And when we have people come to it, we don't want to put out aluminum or we don't want to put out plastic bottles. Right. We're in the aluminum business. So we wanted, we did some research and we found a company that makes aluminum in uh, aluminum water bottles, aluminum water cans, I should say. Okay. So can, no, like a beer can. Yep. Fully recyclable in its format that it is. Yes. Now, what about the beverages, made, the bottles made out of aluminum, but have the plastic top? Are we seeing the engineering now going, wait a minute, we're making a mistake putting plastic tops in because it's the contaminant that's causing the issue in the recycling of it, and that they're going to do a complete aluminum top, but no plastic on it? Where's that going? I'm not all that familiar with that. I would say that, you know, there's a couple issues. Some of these microbrews, um, 
you know, they have their own small canning lines and they put it in a generic can. And then instead of doing the deco like you would see in a Coke can or a regular beer can, they might have it wrapped in plastic on the outside. And that makes it a little bit more difficult to recycle, but you can still recycle it. It's still recycled, but it's a downgrade of the aluminum. It's a downgrade. And as long as it's not, for instance, if that was bailed into a 40,000 pound load of UBCs and you only have 500 pounds out of the 40,000 pounds that have some sort of plastic contamination, you're just going to get a lower recovery in the furnace. Hopefully, there's not enough plastic that would cause any issues. With- Where's that percentage? Where, where, where is in the furnace, they want how much recovery? They want, they don't, what, what is it, 99, 98? What, where, where, where is the, the, the sweet spot to where the contaminants like the plastic have become problematic? You know, I'm not all that familiar with uh, UBC rates, but I can talk to you a little bit about painted siding. So when you okay. put painted siding, when you collect painted siding and you put it through a shredding process and then you put it into the furnace, you're expecting to get in the neighborhood of around an 85 to maybe a 90% recovery if it's really clean. And so obviously, if you have siding with a lot of iron in it or a lot of contaminants and you go and it's really dirty and you put it through the shredding process, you're going to lose more. So Okay, so it's, 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 it's the it's, same concept. Okay, it's where it's dying before it hits the furnace. Right. And, and all, the recovery rates. And if in the case of plastic, if you get plastic in your furnace, it causes it to run hotter because it's a fuel, it's oil. So it causes it to run a little hotter, and so therefore your melt recovery will be a little bit lower. Canada, United States, Mexico. You know, NAFTA and what we've seen, Mexico is a pretty big manufacturing country. U.S., not, you know, I don't really know much about Canada, but are you seeing a shift in aluminum manufacturing to Mexico, to America? Where in the North America are you seeing a shift, if any? in aluminum fabricate, you know, melt making, if you will. Boy, there's still huge amounts of aluminum being made in Mexico. Canada is still significant. North America, there really hasn't been anything new that has come online other than in the billet making world. Why? I think you can invest and build a billet maker for a reasonable investment. I think Metelco, who is owned by Triple M, they built Wardstown a few years ago, and they're currently building a plant in Wisconsin, as we speak, should be open in the tail end of next year. But to build a sheet mill or, you know, to give you an example, Alaris just retooled their Lewisport facility to make auto sheet. Well, just to retool it and to expand in order to do that, that was like a $500 million that's a big investment. Right. And so to build one from scratch, and there's a company that's talking about doing it in Kentucky called Brady Industries, and I, I don't think they've broken ground yet, but I think that's got to be, and I don't know the number, but it's, it's got to be a you know, multi-billion dollar project. You know, that, see, I think people, you know, people ask me all the time about recycling. They think they're doing their part. Oh, the blue bin and... You know, I tell them about, you know, the MRFs, and you get the separation, what kind of... But what they don't really understand is, well, why is the price so bad? I go, well, some recycling has actually increased the volume into the marketplaces, and also we don't have any really new 
consumers for plastic products, aluminum products, just as you said. So to get back to the people who are so concerned about recycling and the MRFs and the cities and the blue bin, and they want to take the aluminums out because that seems to be the only product anymore coming out of the MRFs that really has a home. Paper, mixed papers, not worth anything. Plastic, you know, again, it's, and it's going out to the landfill, and that's what we're trying to do to keep it out of landfill. But it's the investment into the infrastructure or the, the new consumers and technologies. And you don't see that in aluminum at all, any new technology in the making of it. It's just, it is just what it is. Hmm, I, I wouldn't say that. I think there's a lot of new investment, new technology that is coming on all the time. Um, it's just that to build a brand new plant and add capacity, um, whether it's a hot mill or a cold mill in the United States or North America, it's a major, major investment. And I think that is what has, uh, that's what's prohibited that from, from happening. Well, we see a lot of new steel mills that have been planned that are coming online in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money it costs to make new steel. These steel mills, they're not cheap to make. I don't know. You're asking questions that are way above my pay grade. Well, but, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I, I guess it gets more philosophical for me because you see all these steel mills that are being planned, okay? They're, you know, big money, big investments. Okay, how about in America? We haven't built a new refinery for gas. How many years has it been? So it seems like there's something that's preventing people from investing into the United States and this country or North America to, to do this. And it just isn't money. Or is it just the cost of doing it? Philosophically speaking. I don't know if it's just the cost. I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that we have some disadvantages. You know, there's a, a company that... that um, you know, there's companies that make the same alloys of aluminum over in United Arab Emirates or some of the European countries, and they have located their hot their their cold mill where they're rolling the uh, material to make coil. They're taking slab, rolling it out to yep. make coil. It's located right next to an aluminum prime producer so they have no freight to get the prime that they need to make that and it's located right next to a significant energy supply where they can you know maybe there's uh, hydro energy right there and therefore it's low cost aluminum being produced that they have no freight to get it there and uh, it allows them to be more competitive they can still get it here even with the even with the ten percent tariff, they can get it here very competitively to what the domestic mills are charging for that same material. So they got a better setup altogether for the infrastructure from making it, receiving it, and shipping it. And we're having to travel too far distances to do that to be competitive worldwide. That is that could be part of it. It could be part of it. Okay. Yes. So what? Okay. You got a lot, you got India, you know, it's an interesting economy. You got, you know, Vietnam's an interesting economy, you know, South America, Brazil and all this. What countries are you seeing in the world today that are really using more aluminum? You know, we don't export 
we, we really, I shouldn't say we don't export. We don't do a lot of export. You know, probably 95 to maybe 98% of our volume is North America that we sell to. So I'm not, I'm not very well versed in the rest of the world. I can tell you that, um, you know, supposedly there's a lot of growth coming in, in India, Indonesia. Um, you know, there's still a lot of growth coming in the Far East. But, you know, I can't really speak to that. That's not really what we do. The industry that uses the most aluminum in the United States is? It's probably still, you know, the can sheet business is still got to be gigantic, but auto is huge. Um, I remember when I first came to my first ISRI roundtable and there was a speaker up there who was talking about we're currently using and it was just under 200 pounds per, of aluminum per auto. And he was showing this chart and he said, within the next 20 years, we'll be over 400 pounds. And you started running the numbers in your head. I think today the average is, is getting, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think the average is uh, close to 500 pounds of aluminum per car. So it's still very, very significant. And it's still the, you know, that is still the big thing that moves our industry. All right, let's shift gears a little bit out of uh, uh, aluminum to and well we stay on aluminum but what worries you know you're at ypo you know president's organization i am too okay and uh we've we've got a lot of benefit and it's a ypo question what keeps you up at night what worries you so what worries you matt what what keeps you awake at night well i'm always you know we've been through enough bankruptcies and bad periods where you really have to watch credit that we've become hypersensitive to that. And that's something that we pay very close attention to. We're firm believers in credit insurance. We've always, we've had credit insurance since we started and that helps. That's something that, you know, sometimes keeps me up at night. The big thing is what I started to allude to earlier is that there has been so much more scrap being produced in this country, but there's not necessarily more coil being produced in this country because the imports are coming here. So when the imports come and it gets made into something, that's how scrap gets produced. Well, the right. scrap is staying here and there's not as much demand here. So what I'm concerned about is are the spreads, and I know we're at an ISRI event and we're not going to talk about spreads, but are spreads theoretically going to get so wide that people are going to stop collecting scrap. I know it's the environmentally responsible thing to do, but are we getting to the point where, kind of like with plastic at times and paper at times, where it's just not economically viable to collect it? Okay, let's say we get there. Where does that and how does that change? Because nobody, look, I'm in California. Nobody wants... They want scrap to be part of the diversion rates, scrap commodities. We fought that and we won because we're not waste handlers. They want to reduce waste going to the landfill. We know aluminum's a commodity. It's traded on the LME, copper, COMEX, okay? So we know that. What's going to prevent aluminum from going to the landfill? 
I think that what's going to keep it from going to the landfill is just the push that, you know, it's economically, it's it's environmentally responsible and it's the right thing to do. And we've done a good job educating the, the public on it. But the dollars, you know, and that's why I'm a, you know, part of why we've been a firm believer in ISRI and a strong proponent of ISRI is that we have to have an industry that is economically viable and not just environmentally responsible, the right thing to do. Well, that's well said. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. So in concluding all of this, okay, you got a great crystal ball, I heard. I heard you're one of the best at prognosticating. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Prognosticating. Prognosticating the future and pricing. My wife likes to rub my head like this when she wants to look in the future. Yeah. You know, it's you like her Ryan crystal Schein ball. We have some, yeah. uh, lot of commonality we have there. Some, yeah. yeah, we're about the same height, too. Five, ten years from now, what are we going to see? Five, ten years from now, in the world? Five, ten years USA. from now? USA. Uh, USA, okay. Uh, five, ten years from now, I think the aluminum industry will continue to grow. I think that we will be using more and more aluminum in autos. I think that, you know, aluminum seems to be winning out, not just in light weighting, but also in electric vehicles. The, um, the electric vehicle, the, uh, uh, you know, if you can picture showing you with my hand, but if you're listening to a podcast, that's not doing any help, but if you can picture the, the casing that a battery would go in, in an electric vehicle, it's made out of aluminum. So Tesla, big user of aluminum, right? So, uh, I see that continuing to grow. As far as what we care about with scrap and what's going to happen with the supply-demand fundamentals, I think it's going to take five to almost that five to ten years to work out the supply-demand imbalance that we have with auto scrap, which we didn't really get to in this, but that is the big overhang in the industry right now is that we've created this new class of scrap that six years ago, our company did zero pounds of that alloy, those alloys, and today we do over 20 million pounds a year of just those alloys. And in five years, you'll be doing 40 million. We'll be doing 40 million pounds, except, you know, the law of supply and demand. We need more demand for it. We need more consumption and more demand for it. Matt, listen, you know, talking to you it's clearly evident you know what's going on and it'd be fun in a few years to get back together and see where what we predicted today or what you predicted where are we going and what challenges that we've conquered and what barriers have come up i thank you for your time thank you for being part of this and i appreciate your uh, your commentary all right do i get to say the tagline at the end sure this has been pile of scrap excellent Outstanding. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.